You're listening to the Sustainable Jungle Podcast. We share uplifting and positive stories from people all over the world working to change our planet for the better. I'm Lyle, and this week we caught up with Bonnet Debod, the award-winning television presenter and filmmaker. We covered a bunch of topics with Bonnet, but most importantly, her latest hard-hitting documentary feature film, Strip, Journey into the Rhino Horn War. To get the lowdown on this changemaker and her story, stay tuned. Otherwise, check out our show notes for the breakdown of our discussion at sustainablejungle.com forward slash podcast. Bonnet, it is an absolute thrill to meet you. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy editing schedule to talk to us here in this beautiful place. Uh, before we get started, we'd love to know a little bit more about you. Can you share a bit about your background? Where were you born? Where did you grow up? Thank you so much. And I have to say that the two of you, you've really created a, a fantastic platform to drive positive change and future-proof the planet. I think, and, and that's really what we need to do, right? We need to future-proof the planet. So it's wonderful to, to be part of it, and, and thank you for having me. Just to share a little bit of background, uh, I was born in Johannesburg. I grew up in Johannesburg. I guess that's why I love the place and, and the people. So when I'm not out in the bushveld, which is of course my favorite environment, you will find me in Johannesburg. And I have to say, we do have beautiful sunsets, but I don't have time for, for the sunsets when I'm in Joburg. So I'm flat out busy, um, either in the edit suite, finishing the film or getting ready for, for the next, next shoot. So, but luckily I'm fortunate enough to spend a lot of time in the bushveld and, and that's really where I just feel great and, and, and really become myself, you know, and, and I'm very fortunate to be able to do that. And can you share a little bit about your career path till now? We understand that you studied industrial psychology. How do you go from studying industrial psychology to being a TV and radio mm. presenter on conservation and environmental issues? Well, you know, when I left school, I was very uh, uncertain about myself and I was in a way scared of my dreams because I think we, we are brought up thinking we have to follow the conventional route. So that's what I did. I, I went to study a, a safe option. I went to study industrial psychology. Uh, but I was part of hostile life and, and you, have to, you have to take part in, in plays, stage productions. And it's on the stage where I realized that, hang on a minute, I want to tell stories. And I want to tell stories that matter to me. And um, during one of these stage productions, I was then scouted by a modeling scout and I was offered a, a modeling contract in Cape Town. But my parents insisted you have to finish the degree so I did I packed my my bags in my little city golf and I drove down to Cape Town and uh, I started a modeling career and I made a great living from it traveling all over working with the best photographers in the world but um, and then I came to a crossroads uh, because I had a I had a choice I was offered a, a modeling contract at a prestigious modeling agency in London and I was also offered a presenting role on our national broadcaster, SABC's uh, longest environmental and wildlife show, 5050. And for me, it was a no-brainer. So uh, I spent almost a decade uh, with the program, presenting, producing, and that is really, that gave me the platform. That's where my environmental reporting really started and took off. And now you've dedicated your entire career to talking about and raising awareness about conservation and environmental issues. What is it about the wild and nature that is so important to you to have done that? Mm. I think we, we all have a passion for nature. I mean, who doesn't love going to the Kruger National Park? <laughs> and 
you know, I grew up, my grandparents, my parents used to take me and my two sisters during school holidays to the Kruger National Park and it became my favorite place on earth, needless to say it still is. And my grandfather, who I call Opa, uh, he used to treat us to his extensive knowledge about the bush. Wow. Uh, animals, plants, you know, we would stop, we would observe, we would talk about it. And that's where my, my, my passion and my love for the natural world was really born. And I guess we, we all want to leave the space that we have occupied in a better place. And for me, it's the ability, I guess, to, to share my knowledge and passion for the natural world with people. And hopefully somewhere it would have an impact. Uh, and also, you know, a lot of people can't visit national parks. So I can play a part in people appreciating the beauty of nature and, and our wildlife. And also influencing them in protecting it and mm. against destroying it. Absolutely. Because for me, without, without looking into the eyes of a rhino, of an elephant, you know, some people would through the stories we tell and the pictures we show, some people wouldn't know what we are talking about and, and just wouldn't care. So that's very important for me. Uh, I can play a part in, in, in people really understanding nature, understanding the natural world. Uh, nature isn't separate from us, it is within us. And I think society just needs a little reminder every now and again. And I think that's where I come in. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. And I think you say that we all love nature and I think in our hearts, we all love nature. Mm -hmm. But at the, I mean, the, the way that the world's going now, there's kids being born that have never even been in nature. They never even mm -hmm. stepped foot in a park before. I have that before. opportunity. So I think mm -hmm. what you do is more important than ever to try and bring that to the people who've never had the, you know, the opportunity mm -hmm. to experience it like we have. Exactly, to bring yeah. it into, into the living rooms so that they can see it, they can appreciate it, they can start to know wildlife and nature and, and really see what it's all about. Absolutely. Now, I, I can totally relate to the experience of going to Kruger Park as a young kid and enjoying and just being able to, like, so focused. It's almost like a meditation being there. And it's the most wonderful experience. I would encourage anybody listening, if they haven't been to a place like Kruger, to get there. It has to be on your bucket list. It has the to Kruger be. Kruger National Park has to be a tick. It is the most incredible Absolutely. place. Absolutely. Now, we would love to ask animal people like yourself about memorable moments that have influenced them in some way in nature or in the wild. Mm. Are there any stories or memories that jump to mind, perhaps in Kruger or elsewhere? Yeah, that's, a, that's a good question and, and, I, and I think you've, you have me stumped there. I, I wouldn't <laughs> say there's, Too a, many. there's a specific experience or, or memory. I would rather say everything that it's all been combined into a feeling. For me, it's how I feel okay. when I'm in nature, how I feel when I'm in the bushveld. And that has really influenced me in, in telling stories about the natural world. It's, it's a feeling for me. And what is the feeling? Feeling at ease, feeling one with the natural world, one with nature, really connected yeah. to the planet. I can really relate to that. On our honeymoon, we went to the Serengeti. And, uh, and, and I, I haven't been there. Oh, it is amazing. I, I haven't been there. It so blew my mind. It after the film, I think that's going to be my first, you should totally first stop. Yeah. Do it, yeah. We can give you a great guide recommendation. We had the best guide in the whole world. Oh, wow. But we, yeah, I had that sense of mm. feeling like this is home. Like this is, even though I've never been to Tanzania before, but it felt like so connected so I can totally relate to that feeling yeah. you know Dr. Ian Player uh, I did the last interview with him before he passed away and he said to me humanity has lost their connection with the natural world and that's where that's why we have all the problems we have I agree so we have to get that back somehow if it's telling stories showing people pictures 
Well, that's how I do it. Hopefully, I have an impact. Mm. And getting more people to experience that feeling of connectedness. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And when they're in those spaces, being aware enough to feel that, that connection. Yeah. Exactly. So, Bonnie, now you are working tirelessly on Stroop. And we're going to get into Stroop in just a second. But mm. before we do, can we give the listeners an idea of what the rhino problem is here mm. in Southern Africa and indeed the world mm. over? Mm. You know, while filming Stroop, a journey into the rhino horn war, I realized just... It took us four years. I realized just how complex the rhino poaching issue really is. You know, it's a multi-layered problem, starting with an ancient mindset of millions of people, thousands of kilometers across the ocean, who believe that rhino horn can cure disease and uplift status. Here in South Africa, it starts with poverty. Many of the poachers come from the communities surrounding the national parks, adjacent to the national parks. And, you know, the Kruger National Park, it's home to the most rhinos in the world. So there are an estimated 15 gangs of poachers active every single day at any given point. The Kruger National Park also borders Mozambique. So you have Mozambicans illegally crossing the border, trespassing into the park. So this brings about very sensitive uh, diplomatic issues between two countries. And I don't even think we're aware of the cross-border talks behind closed doors. And then corruption. Corruption has infiltrated the system throughout, and not only in South Africa, around the world. Uh, we all watch the news. We, we, we know what's going on. And, you know, rhino poaching, like, like any wildlife crime, is a deeply rooted problem, but it's an ever-changing crime that really takes advantage of the set secretive structures in place. We must remember that illegal wildlife trafficking has transformed into one of the world's largest transnational organized criminal activities alongside the illegal trafficking in drugs, arms, human beings. So they use the same routes and the same techniques to, to illegally traffic wildlife as they do for illegally smuggling drugs or human beings. They exploit, these criminal networks exploit gaps in national law enforcement and criminal justice systems. So it's so, it's so complex, it's so multi-layered. Uh, and rhino poaching, wildlife crime, it's not a conservation problem, it's a criminal problem. And it has to be addressed in that way. It, it has to be addressed like any other crime. So illegal wildlife trafficking, rhino poaching included, it's driven by demand, it is facilitated by corruption and it is linked to organized criminal activities and, and groups around the globe. Currently in South Africa, we are losing three rhinos a day, one every eight hours. Oh. And since the poaching really escalated from 2008, 2009, we have nearly lost 6,000 rhinos to poaching. Okay. And it's a relentless war. It is not stopping. Okay. So something desperately needs to change or we will lose our wild rhinos. And it's not even unique for wild rhinos, like there was that one in France that got taken out in a zoo. Absolutely. So rhinos are a target, whether they're in South Africa, whether they're in, the, in a zoo in France, in a museum. The criminal syndicates are targeting rhinos. It's that simple, really. It and is, we have to protect them. That is so frightening. Mm. And you mentioned that since 2007, there's been a real increase in poaching. A real poaching. increase from 2007, 2008. Why is that? We've noticed mm. that. And I mean, poaching has been around since forever. Mm. But it does feel like in the last 10 mm. years, there's been such an increase. Why? 
That's very true, and I'm glad you say that rhino poaching, you remember rhino poaching since we forever. Kids, yeah. Because people have this perception that it's a new thing. It's not a new thing. It's been there. I've read reports from park rangers in the Kruger National Park dating back to the 1980s, and they talk about poaching of rhinos, poaching of elephants. But it was few and far between compared to today. Uh, we, we, of course, filmed extensively here in South Africa for Struip uh, at the source site of, of the rhino poaching. But we knew that we, we couldn't make a documentary not capturing the demand for the very thing that they are slaughtered for, the rhino horn on camera. So we went to Asia, we filmed there undercover, and because we have to look at the demand. And I was, I was very shocked to see how massive it really is. Yes, we've all heard that the Vietnamese and the Chinese uh, acquire rhino horn, uh, use rhino horn, but to actually physically see how it is used and the mythical, uh, the powerful properties they give it, it's, it's quite unbelievable. Uh, demand for rhino horn is huge. And I spoke to many people who told me that if they had the wealth to get it, they would. And there are two things driving this demand. Firstly, people believe that rhino horn detoxifies the body. So you have many ca cancer patients who use a combination of chemotherapy and rhino horn. I spoke to an oncologist in Vietnam and she confirmed this. Uh, because they think that it helps the immune system to recover quicker and they can get onto their next treatment. Then, of course, rhino horn is seen as a status symbol. Rhino horn is the most valuable commodity on earth today. More valuable than gold, more valuable than platinum. So it's very popular amongst businessmen. They would give each other a piece of rhino horn. They call it rhino horn gifting to procure a tender, for example. To show that they're so powerful they can get their hands on onto a very rare and very expensive product what they're really saying is look at me you know if i can get my hands onto that well imagine what i can do for the business so those are the two things driving it and if you look at the rhino populations that used to be in vietnam their rhinos went extinct in 2010 and there has been a slaughter throughout africa during the last uh, century and we've been pretty safe from that but now we are the place with the most rhinos in the world, South Africa. So of course criminal syndicates are coming here to poach our rhinos. And that is why we have seen that dramatic increase from 2007-2009 in South Africa. And I imagine it's also got something to do with increased consumption globally of everything, right? Like wealth has increased, especially in places like China, where you know, you've had this huge increase in ability mm -hmm. to afford things and the world over is consuming way too much of everything and so that combined with you know the mm -hmm. fact that asian rhinos have become extinct so yeah that entire population in vietnam is gone and so now the focus is on southern africa is on us where the most rhinos are and if you look at elephants they are following the exact same route we have lost 40 elephants to poaching in kruger national park um, since the beginning of the year up to may the prediction is that we will lose 97 elephants to poaching in the Kruger National Park. This year? By the end of 2018. So That must be so traumatic for the guys trying to protect them. Absolutely, and the rangers are, are trying their best. They, they cannot, I almost want to say they cannot do more. They have groups of rangers, different groups of rangers, 24-7 on patrol. They've got the latest technology helping them. But criminal syndicates are always a step ahead. And if they're going to the park for a rhino and there's an elephant and it's an easy, pretty easy shot, 
they will take it. Because mm. they, they will go for anything that they see value in. And just turning to maybe more positive side of things, Bonnet, what sort of solutions or initiatives have you seen that have been tried or proposed or come about mm. that are trying to solve this issue? You may have heard the saying, there is no silver bullet. And I do believe there is no one solution to save the species. Firstly, I think the most important is security. I mean, of course, we have to secure our rhinos in the national parks, provincial parks, on private farms. Uh, in your bigger parks, you have different groups of, of rangers patrolling 24-7. You've got the latest technology helping them in this fight. On private farms, I've seen quadruple fencing, high-tech fencing. I've seen uh, provinces coming together, forming security groups, helping each other out. So they, uh, on the farms, they really react as a team to, for example, an incursion onto a farm. Another tool in the toolbox, I think, is dehorning rhinos. So the horn is shaven off to protect the rhino, but it's not a guarantee. Recently, a beautiful rhino cow was brutally slaughtered for a little piece of base that was left on her face. She was dehorned a couple of days before. Because you obviously can't take out the whole horn. You can just cut, cut they, off down to the base. They, they cut, you can. You can take out the whole horn. Oh, you can. But because it was shaved off, there was only a little piece left. And, you know, people think it's a deterrent. It is a deterrent, but it's not a guarantee. Yeah. They still went for that tiny little piece that was left. Jeez. Uh, so, and in, in your bigger parks like Kruger National Park, it's very difficult, it's almost impossible, it's the size of Israel to go and dehorn every single rhino. And it grows back, so you have to do it every couple of months. And then, of course, the very controversial debate around the legal trade in rhino horn. Now, domestically, it is legal to trade within our borders. As soon as that horn crosses the border, it becomes illegal because international trade in rhino horn is illegal and it has been since 1977. But it's almost become like a religion on both sides of the spectrum. So you've got the pro-traders who are advocating that legal trade will save the species from extinction. Mm -hmm. You've got the anti-traders who says it's going to have the opposite effect and actually drive the species to the brink of extinction. Yeah. And there's this bickering back and forth between individuals and not only individuals but also countries. And while this is happening, the rhinos are dying. Yeah. I don't want to sit here or look back in 10 years time and this could have been the turning point. And either we would have saved the species from extinction or we would have failed miserably and only see them in zoos on our 10 rand note or in highly protective intensive zones on, on private farms. Uh, so the time to act is now. I think we have to stop the infighting between countries, between individuals. We need to get onto the same page. It's the only way we can move forward. Because at the moment, something needs to change. And you mentioned that there's a lot of people who are working, a lot of very good people who mm -hmm. are working really hard mm -hmm. to find a solution. And one project that you were involved with, the Rhino Blog, is that correct? Yes, Rhino Blog. It was wonderful to do because it's such an uplifting series. There are so many people doing amazing work, really the heroes on the front lines in the poaching fight. So we, we got to spend time with state prosecutors, the rangers, the forensic teams, the orphan rehabilitators, absolutely amazing. Uh, and the black mumbers, 
one that I really enjoyed. We watched that, that episode. That was such a cool episode. Well, I mean, that is. A, can you just tell us quickly for the listeners who are the Black Mambas and uh-huh. what was it like being out in the field with them? Oh, it was absolutely amazing. They do incredible work. Uh, it's it's an all female anti poaching unit working in a reserve uh, close to Kruger. And what's very different for me is the fact that a park ranger has chosen a Korean conservation. But these women come from the communities surrounding the, the national parks. And also the po- many of the poachers come from these communities. So not only are they contributing in protecting the rhinos on the ground by doing patrols 24-7, they can also influence the people in the communities against uh, rhino poaching. So they've been doing a wonderful job. Um, there's actually been a decline in the numbers of rhino poached uh, since they've started. Women power. Women power. Love Absolutely. It. And it's uplifting women. It's got a social impact but element I, I, as well. I love the fact, and I think that's such an important point you've touched on, is getting those communities to be involved in mm. saving the rhinos. Mm. And so it's for their benefit as well. Absolutely. You know, I, I did a great interview with Dr. Jane Goodall. And I said to her, what, what is the solution for this? And she told me that we need to have community involvement. You cannot win this fight without involving the community. They have to see the benefit in it. Mm. It's a very sensitive subject, but if we look back, apartheid, what role did it play? Many people weren't allowed to go into our national parks to really see wild animals, see rhinos in the wild, appreciate it, have that love for it. Because we were able to go to Kruger National Park growing up, we could nurture that love Mm. for the natural world. Many people didn't have that opportunity. And that's something we need to look at. In the bigger scheme of things, I think it is vital. If we want to win the rhino poaching fight, we have to have community involvement. Absolutely. Mm. So now let's talk about the movie, okay, the big cool. important movie. Tell us the full name. It's Thrip. Sorry, I cannot roll my eyes. It's <laughs> <laughs> it better if you if you introduce I'll it. I'll forgive you. Yeah. <laughs> so the film is called Thrip: Journey into the Rhino Horn War. Maybe you can give us a little bit of a description of what does Thrip actually mm. mean, and can you give us a little bit of a sense of what we can expect from the movie? So Thrip in Afrikaans means to strip bay. Now, I thought that would be a very fitting name because, yes, when a rhino is poached, they take the horn, but they take so much more. Mm-hmm. They take the iconicness of the animal. They take the, the, the essence of the being. Uh, and that's why I thought it's, it's a fitting name. Um, because, yes, they take the horn, but they, they actually take so much more. And then journey into the rhino horn war, we really take the view on a journey. In fact, it's a roller coaster ride. <laughs> but I don't want to give too much away because no, I want don't. people to watch the film. But yes, it was, it was a, a six-month project initially. But I think myself and, uh, and my co-filmmaker and director, Susan Scott, we, we didn't realize just how complex the whole problem is. Yeah. So cashing in our investments, selling our homes, moving in with our mothers. I'm a bit embarrassed to say that out loud. <laughs> but that is amazing, amazing but dedication. But we had to, you know, we had yep. to... To get this project off the ground, we had to do that. And uh, it's been four years now. And we finally in the last stages and we will be releasing it very, very soon. How exciting. Mm. Mm. So now you've already touched on funding. You've had to basically give up everything to move in with your parents and 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 fund it that way. How else have you funded it and why did you choose mm. that path versus going for, you know, typical funding typical route? It's a, so Strip is an independently funded film. Uh, as I mentioned, you know, we of, of course 
contributed a lot in the beginning, but we also crowdfunded. And we did those for, for that for two reasons, because we wanted the public to feel part of the film. And we also didn't want to take the traditional broadcaster route. It's a great platform and it's an, an easier route, but it comes with restrictions. Yeah. We wanted to tell the real, true rhino story without censorship and without any hidden agendas. So that's why we took the, the independent route. Fantastic. Can people still help fund it today? Mm -hmm. Is it still open for funding? It is. Uh, so what people can do is they can actually buy, forward buy, a digital download of the film. Right. Obviously that will be made available. We will send on the link as soon as the film is released. But that helps us a lot. Yeah. With traveling, with getting to the film festivals and that type of thing. So people can certainly still contribute and, and join the journey. Isn't that so cool that you can actually contribute to a film like this and get the film? You know, it's like such a win-win. It's a win-win. It's super cool. Now, we read an article in Africa Geographic, which talks about some of the things that you and your co-filmmaker Susan Scott had to go through, mm. <laughs> not least moving in with your mother, <laughs> but all the other stuff that you had to go through that sounds really intense and actually mm. put your safety at risk in some mm. cases. Um, why did you do this? Like, why was it so important to you? You know, we did take risks. And when I look back now, sometimes I wonder, would we do it again? And, and every time I answer yes, I would do it again. Uh, it's, it wasn't easy emotionally, you know, to see, to witness what humans are capable of. Absolutely the dark, evil side of humanity. Uh, that was very tough, very, very tough. Uh, and physically, um, I remember after the one shoot, uh, Susan uh, had stress fractures in her ankle. <gasps> I had uh, snap tendons in my foot. Uh, but we carried on, you know, she was also very sick after our trip to Asia. She had bronchitis twice because of the air pollution, uh, which is quite severe. And uh, tick bite fever. We would pick up strange bugs because we spend so much time around carcasses and crime scenes. Oh, gosh. But, you know, you don't think about those things. This story is so important. So you just keep going. Yeah. You just keep going. Uh, and, and why rhinos? Because many people ask me why rhinos? Why are they so important? Yeah. You know, I see them as beasts of a bygone era. Uh, I remember going to Kruger Park and something that stuck out for me was the reverence my parents had every time they see a rhino. And I think that sort of left an impression on me. But there's just something so magical about seeing that massive animal in the bushveld. Uh, they, they are cave paintings around the world, rock art of rhinos. They're ancient. Ancient. And we've got a beautiful golden artifact uh, called the, I don't know if you've heard about the Mapungupwe golden rhinoceros. No. no. It's a beautiful little gold rhino um, dating back 800 years <gasps> ago. And it was found in a royal grave site. So that shows me that rhinos were revered by the African royalty. Uh, also, very interestingly, in China and Vietnam, where rhinos are gone from, they are viewed as very spiritual animals, the horn pointing up to heaven, giving that link between earth and the spiritual world. And um, they, are just, they are just special, special animals. Uh, and we need, to, we need to do something so that our grandchildren and their grandchildren can actually go out into a park and see wild rhinos. They do sort of stop you in your, in your tracks, don't they? they? Absolutely. They make you really, you know, pay attention <laughs> absolutely and 
we actually we were allowed to film this this the Mapungubwe golden rhinoceros wow. uh, at the University of Pretoria in the museum. And it was just something else, you know, and it was for me it was a reminder that the natural world is so much more than just a commodity. It is an intrinsic part of who we are and where we are going. And um, we need to protect it. We need to do everything in our power to protect it. Real world unicorns, I've heard them That's, being referred to. I as. love that <laughs> saying. <laughs> true. They Very are true. the real world unicorns. They also have such personalities, don't they? We've watched videos with the babies jumping around. Oh. If, if nobody's seen any videos of baby rhinos jumping around, please go ahead and YouTube that because yeah. that is special. It's the cutest thing. <laughs> it is the cutest little thing. You know, we followed the journey of a little baby called Makosi. You will see her in, in the film. And uh, she was two days old when she was rescued, when she was brought into the rehabilitation center and we were there filming it. And uh, six months later, we went back to the, the facility and this little thing, <laughs> she came out of the, the room, the facility room, and I saw her running and she was running around the facility. And to see that, that little rhino who has come from lost her mother because of poaching, it almost didn't make it. I mean, it was touch and go. And to, for her to run around, to, to do a full circle around the facility, <laughs> it was incredible. It was probably one of the, the best moments for me in the film. Wow. To experience that and to see that little life you know, rescued and now running around and hopefully will be rewilded and, and go back into the wild where, where she belongs. They, they think they're bunny rabbits, don't they? <laughs> they they do. like love to hop. They, they love to do. hop around. They do. And those big feet, you know, yeah. and the ears. I always say they look like Shrek. Yeah, yeah <laughs> that's a good comparison. Yeah. Shrek, those, those ears standing up like that. We recently got to see a baby in Atosha in Namibia, this black rhino family, and the dad at least I assume he was the dad, he came around the one side of the of the watering hole and all these birds came down and were like attacking him because they didn't want him in their spot for whatever reason and he threw this tantrum, this hoppy tantrum and I just <laughs> thought it was so cute because he was like this big like you know manly man rhino oh. and he was still doing the hopping. You the know? hopping, oh my goodness, no they do have personalities. Yeah. Hey? Absolutely and I've seen it, I've seen it, I've filmed you know, the, the little rhinos, the orphans, oh, and they're so special. Very special. Mm. It's so clear to see if you just observe them for a little bit of time, they're sentient beings. Mm. They have mm. emotions, they experience pain and suffering just like we do as humans. And I think it's, it's easy to forget, especially for people who are not mm. connected to nature, to think that they're just wild animals and, you know, they look very hot, like hardy beasts, mm. but mm. they feel things just mm. as we do. Mm. And I think more people need to understand that. Absolutely, you know, it's almost, one of the rehabbers told me that you feel, you can see their emotion when they're scared, when they're hungry, when they want some love. You <laughs> see it. It's, and he said, you know, it's, uh, the, the eyes are the, the door to the soul. And, you know, so each and every one has a different personality. And you can see it. it it's very obvious. Yeah, mm. very cool. Now, we've watched the, the trailer and we understand there is a new trailer, which is exciting. But the, the first trailer we watched and it made us both extremely emotional. And we can tell just from watching the trailer that this movie is going to be hard to watch for animal lovers. It is going to be hard hitting and confronting, mm -hmm. I imagine. But it's still so important to watch, mm -hmm. even though it's confronting. Like many of these environmental documentaries, it is really important for us to watch them and be aware of these issues. Why do you think that's so critical? Why do you think these messages mm. need to get out there and people need to watch to them? actually watch it? Yeah, I'm just thinking of the cove. Uh, yes, blackfish, exactly. blackfish, another one. It's so mm. hard to difficult watch. to watch, but so vital. You know, I, I'm just thinking of 
let's take for example global warming i think we've we were all aware of global warming but i think it hit home for many people with an inconvenient truth right because we saw the facts we saw how our actions were contributing to what is happening to the planet and because we knew the facts well we could change our behavior and we could change our actions and it's the same with a film like Stroop yes there are certain parts that that will be difficult to watch but you will also know all the facts after watching the film so you will know you will be empowered to be able to do something to make a difference and to help the beleaguered runner absolutely and do you believe that's like the principal role of storytelling in this manner and using documentaries and mm-hmm. other forms of art to drive these messages and make change absolutely i think people when people are moved by a story that you tell by the pictures that you show i think they are more inclined to take some action and to actually stand up get off the armchair and say well i can also make a difference as an individual i don't ha- necessarily have to run around with a gun in the in the bushveld be a ranger there's so many other things i can do to help make a make a difference absolutely now thinking forward say one to two years into the future after the release of the movie what would you have hoped what would you be extremely happy with if the movie had achieved that ambition one to two years <laughs> i just want the film released now <laughs> first things first one first things first yeah, one step at a time people <laughs> uh, i would say global awareness i don't think many people are aware of the crisis and and definitely not the extent of the crisis you know i don't want to get to a point like with the northern white rhino yeah. the last male died recently in sudan leaving two females on the planet of the subspecies i mean that is living proof of an extinction happening right in front of our eyes and how in this modern day and age with our scientific structures in place how could we let that have happened how could it happen so and i'm very worried uh, th- there are many in powerful positions in uh, in rhino management who say that rhinos will never go extinct in the wild but then you look at the subspecies the northern white rhino of course that it's a possibility yeah and we have to fight against it before it's too late it happens so quickly it happens so quickly so definitely global awareness and i want people to feel empowered to be able to do something mm-hmm. our graphic designer she watched the film the other day and she was so moved that she went on to adopt an adult problem dog at a shelter Amazing. to make a difference for one animal mm. and that's what it's all about so if someone can watch the film and say i want to make a difference it doesn't have to be necessarily for a rhino or for rhinos but for an animal then i would be very happy you are a big advocate of the the saying you know be the change that you want mm. to see in the world and this is an, a perfect example of that and if people do want to be the change from for a rhino or for the rhino species mm. what can they do i'm so glad you asked that question because many people don't know they feel they don't feel empowered to do anything because they don't know what to do and you know i always say that when people come together and they feel serious about something movements happen the greatest victories in history didn't happen because of governments it happened because of the people yeah. the people made it happen we can just look at the arab spring you know people were were unhappy about something they came together and they changed things around and that's what we need to do with 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 the rhino uh, we need to keep the story front and center that's very very important and a very simple way to do it we are all on social media it's free it's easy to use so post about what is important to you comment tweet and keep the rhino story part of mainstream culture 
and media. I think that's very important. Uh, a platform like Twitter, you can directly communicate with policymakers. And if you're not on social media, well, then write a letter the old-fashioned way. Write a letter to the, the mem- your member of parliament. Write a letter to the government, to the Department of Environmental Affairs. Take part in, in, in marches. Um, you know, those little small things, but they do actually make a difference. Yeah. Uh, so that would be my, my suggestion for people who want to really become involved and get involved in this fight. Awesome. And now you mentioned that the movie is going to be finished soon. Is there a timeline? I understand that you've got some exciting things coming up. Is mm-hmm. there a timeline from here that you can share with us or is it still you're going to wait and TBC. see? <laughs> TBC. No, no. So, so uh, we've been selected for the, the San Francisco Green Film Festival. So it will so be premiering exciting. in the States really on the 9th exciting. of September. Wow. I'm saying the date, the 9th of 9th September. 9th of September. Anyone who are living or who are there in that area, please come and join the, uh, join the screening. It'd be wonderful to, to have you there, to meet you and so that we can actually take this message to the world together. So that's the 9th of September, and then we have the European uh, premiere on the 24th of October uh, at the Wildlife Film Festival Rotterdam in, in the Netherlands. Wow. And it's actually the opening night film of the festival, so that's really exciting. And we will also screen it at a number of other festivals in the States and in the UK. Fantastic. And then we will release it locally here in South Africa early 2019. Oh, so exciting. Very exciting. And we very hope very you're going to make it out to the to Down Under as well. <laughs> We're going to try our best. We're going to try our best. Awesome. So, you know, anyone, we will obviously have all the screenings listed on our Facebook page. So people who are in the area, um, it would be wonderful if they could, could come out to the screenings and support the film. I just want to add a little message about what Struip really is about. Please. So it's really an in-depth look of the rhino poaching crisis, the world of rhino poaching and everything in between. It's from the battlegrounds in the two hardest hit areas, the Kruger National Park, KwaZulu-Natal, where we were given unprecedented access to the rangers, the forensic teams, the crime scenes, uh, to the dingy courtrooms all over the country where we follow three female state prosecutors who are fighting against well-equipped oiled defense teams and the poachers. From there we go to little rhino orphaned babies who have lost their mothers to poaching and the rehabbers trying everything in their power to rewild them, get them back into the wild again. We uh, spend time with private rhino owners, farmers. We look at the very controversial topic of trade, legal trade in rhino horn. We look at both sides of the issue. And then we take the, the viewers straight to the underground back rooms of Vietnamese and Chinese smugglers. <gasps> and most importantly, to the rhino horn users. So it really takes the viewer to the heart of the poaching crisis, answering all the questions that we all have. And um, we made this film so that no one can say they didn't know. That is hard hitting and I can't even imagine how difficult that journey would have been for you and Susan. It was very difficult at times, emotionally and physically. We were both exhausted, but it's just such an important story to tell. Mm. So I think your adrenaline kicks in. You know, we, we put ourselves in very dangerous scenarios, especially filming undercover in Asia. Again, I won't give too much away, but you don't really think about it. I think your adrenaline, you, you're on a high. You just, you, all you're thinking is getting that shot, seeing the product on camera, because you need to show it to the world. And you don't really think about the dangers. I think once we landed back in South Africa, 
I think everything sort of, <laughs> you know, then we realized, oh my goodness, we, we took so the, many chances. The danger you put yourselves in. Yeah. Exactly. And of course, we didn't tell our mothers any of the work we were doing there. Uh, I mean, just they would have Had not a been attack. able to handle it. So, but it is just so important. So I don't think you think about those things at all. You guys are tough and brave and impressive. And we are so happy that you've done this. Yeah. So Bonnie, it, it very much feels like, and I don't want to go down the doldrums again, but the world very much feels like in many ways it's in turmoil and, and we, we have a huge fight on our hands in so many aspects but for you for someone who is so passionate about making change and and trying to future proof our planet not just for the rhinos but in in other areas as Mm. well if you could send out or share some piece of advice or a lesson to everybody in the world and to have that message heard by them i know it's a big question but what what would that be Mm. i think we we shouldn't underestimate the power that is within ourselves. Someone else isn't more capable of doing something. You are capable of doing something. You just need to figure out what that something is. And as soon as you've done that, well, you need to get up and do it. Mm-hmm. It's actually very, very simple. That would be my message. Absolutely. I love that. Do something. <laughs> and and we've, um, we've got a number of requests to ask our interviewees for a green living tip. And Joy and I know that you're a green liver is that a term that's the thing i try i try like everyone else i guess (laughs) would you share just one green living tip for for anybody out there who's listening who wants to live a more sustainable Uh lifestyle well plastic is a massive massive problem probably one of the worst environmental crises you know of the of the 21st century Uh, i think the planet is really drowning in plastic we are drowning in plastic But it is unrealistic. It's also part of our life. So it's unrealistic to think that we should completely do without it. But we can definitely turn or close the tap on single-use plastics, like straws, for example. So if we have to use plastic, let's try and use it as many times as possible before we discard it, before we throw it away. And I see straws are are getting some of the heat right now. Even the Queen has uh, abandoned (laughs) straws on all her properties, which is fantastic news. Brilliant. And uh, there are so many other options available. Uh, Bamboo straws. Now, I'm not one for that because I will forget to pack it and I will forget to wash it and all of that. So I just take my cup to the gym, get my smoothie in there. I don't need to get one of the plastic cups they offer or a plastic straw. It's very simple uh, and it might sound like it you know, it's not really going to make a difference, but collectively, if we all just do one thing, it all contributes to the bigger picture. And when you do make those changes and you, and you realize, like for example, we, before we went on this trip, we started living pretty much entirely plastic-free in London. And then we went on this trip and it was hard at times to mm. live entirely mm. plastic-free because you'd go to places where there was no drinking water out of the tap, for example, and then you'd have to buy a bottle. Mm. And every time you realize how quickly these things add up, and how, how much of an impact you actually are mm. having by not doing it. Mm. Mm. And so even though people think that it's not going to make that much difference, it's going to actually make a huge difference. Like just in a two or three days in a place where you can't drink the water out of the tap, you end up with like five or six drinking bottles. Exactly. And it's crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely crazy. There are so many other ways that you can not try and not use the, the, the plastic. And I think we are all comfortable using and buying plastic because we think it's recyclable. Yeah. But they are finding out that a lot of plastic isn't actually recyclable. Yeah, <laughs> it's certainly a message we're hearing over and over again. Mm. Finally, and most importantly, 
where can people find you and how can they support your work? Well, I'm on social media, so people can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, connect with me there, it'd be absolutely lovely. And then we have a Facebook page for Stroop and a Twitter page. And that's where people must um, just follow the page so they can see what we're up to. We uh, obviously share all the news there. We update the people on where we're at. And we will also list all the screenings on our Facebook page. So if people can just connect with us there, Stroop the film and um, see what we're up to. And then when you're in the area, when we have a screening, come and join us. And for foreigners who don't know what die film means. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so it's the movie. The, the movie. movie. The movie in English. But uh, if you just type in Stroop die film, you will get to the Facebook page. Great. We'll put, we'll put all those links y in the show notes. I was just about to ask, will you put all those yes. little yeah. yep. I don't have yep. to spell all of them. No, 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 don't worry. Okay. Right. We'll put them in. Because <laughs> I was just about to say, okay, Bonnet is B-O-N. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, we'll definitely. Okay, fantastic, yeah, fantastic. We'll put in all the links. Yeah. Bono, thank you so much for the work you do for these animals. We are so appreciative and we are so appreciative to have had this opportunity to talk to you. No, thank you. I mean, it's your support has been great. Thank you for supporting Stroop and for sharing the message with us. Because I do think ultimately, I do think when, when we all come together, that's when change will happen. That is when, when we will see something change. Yeah. Because as I said, something needs to change otherwise we will lose all our our, our wild rhinos absolutely yeah. now is the time Thank well the Bonnie. time was 10 years ago but in lieu of that now is the time <laughs> yeah i know it was an absolute pleasure spending time with both of you and thank you for the support we really really appreciate it what an inspiring conversation friends we absolutely cannot wait for bonnet's film to come out go and grab yourself a digital download at sdbfilms.com forward slash drup dash film link in the description below and support this amazing project that Bonnet and Susan have put their bodies on the line to produce. These real world unicorns need our help. So let's spread the love, keep the story trending and give it as much airtime as we can. Thank you friends. Thank you for listening and we will see you next week.